grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text is the epistle, Hebrews 13. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, listen to this one sentence from the text. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That was verse 8. <laughs> That's the best news that a sinner could ever hear, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, indeed. For you who are burdened, crushed, or troubled by your sin, you who recognize your sinful condition, I'm here to tell you that Jesus, who is the absolute essence of your salvation, the only Savior of sinners, he doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in his Good Friday death. That doesn't change. Our Lord's Good Friday all-atoning sacrifice on the cross, it counts once for all time and once for all people. And so that means you and I, we all qualify. This is why the preaching and teaching here at Trinity doesn't change. The message is the same. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. It's why above the altar we have a crucifix the visible reminder that Jesus died on the cross for you, for your salvation, to atone for all your sin. This is why we baptize, because Peter says in Acts chapter 2 that it is for the forgiveness of sins. It's why the pastor speaks the absolution and preaches the gospel. This is why the Lord's Supper is offered every Sunday in which the crucified, risen, and reigning over all things Jesus promises that his Good Friday body and blood are given to you with the bread and the wine for the forgiveness of your sins. What our Lord achieved and won on the altar of the cross, he now bestows at this very altar here at Trinity. I mean, this is joyful for those of you who believe all of this. And from Hebrews 13 then, we are given a few exhortations or instructions from the Lord for living a self-sacrificial life as a as a Christian. You want to do that, don't you? Of course you do. So you're going to get some help today from Hebrews 13. Now in Romans 12, Paul speaks of it this way, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's the life lived in and from your baptism, as well as your life lived in and from hearing the absolution and the gospel preached, as well as receiving the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of your sins, as his forgiveness has its way with you. Or to put it another way, Hebrews 13 speaks of the Lord's very good use of you, in the church, to be his hands and mouth for the sake of your fellow believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So right out of the chute, here in Hebrews 13, we have these words. Let brotherly love continue. You see that? Let brotherly love continue. You see, when you're a faither in the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to love your brother or sister in Christ. You want to help them. You want to give. And you will even correct or call out a fellow believer when he or she errs. And then above all, you will forgive. Do you remember what the New Testament teaches about love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the Truth. Do you remember this? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know where that's all at. You know it's 1 Corinthians what? 13. 
Love was the trait of the early Christian church. Jesus said in John 13, This is how the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Brotherly love is what flows from faith in Jesus. Now, <clears throat> listen carefully. You don't have to like each other here at Trinity. <laughs> you get to love one another as the family of God in Christ Jesus. A faither's love stretches out to fellow believers that you've never even met, as the text says. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, to repeat, strangers here is speaking of fellow Christians. We learned last week from Hebrews 12. Do you remember that sermon? <laughs> last week, Hebrews 12 told us that the angels and the archangels worship, with Jesus, worship Jesus with us. But there's more from Hebrews 13. Perhaps some believers in Jesus may knock on your door this week who need some kind of help, and you'll invite them in. You'll offer them a meal, perhaps. Perhaps you'll pour them a glass of iced tea or a hot cup of coffee. And if they need a place to stay for a few days, you'll say, hey, I've got a spare bedroom. Stay there. Kind of like an ad, ad, ad hoc bed and breakfast. When you help those fellow Christians that you don't know, never met, the text says, that you've entertained, some have entertained angels unaware. Just like Abraham did, you remember, in Genesis chapter 18. According to the text, more of the Lord's good use of you as a faither in him is to remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them. Brothers and sisters, we are all one body in Christ, even if prison bars may separate us. Now again, just to be clear, the text is not talking about doing generic prison ministry to just any Joe Blow who's in prison. Instead, it's speaking specifically about members of the congregation who've been arrested and imprisoned because they worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember John the Baptist? He rotted away where? In prison until he was made shorter by a head. Do you remember Acts chapter 5? Remember that? All 12 apostles were arrested because they preached Jesus. Remember Acts chapter 12? James was what? Murdered. And what happened to Peter? He was jailed. Do you remember Acts 16? Paul and Silas, they were beaten to a bloody pulp. And then they were thrown where? Into jail. And then later, Paul, under house arrest in Rome, Acts 28, knowing soon that he would be put to death, he begged Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, do your best to come to me soon, quickly, come and visit me. And Luke was there, you remember, with Paul. Do you remember the book of Revelation? John wrote that book while he was where? In prison on the island of Patmos. Yes, brothers and sisters, Christians sometimes get locked up simply because they are. They're just simply Christians. It happened in the early church. And it happens today in many parts of the world. China, India, Egypt, Sudan, Indonesia, Pakistan, Nigeria, just to name a few places. Nothing much has changed, has it? Now, this may be news to you. It really may. This may be news to you. But freedom of religion is a very recent idea in the history of the world. God's given us freedom in America for almost 250 years. However, I fear that freedom to be a Christian in this country is in serious jeopardy. And so don't be surprised, folks. You may have the opportunity someday to visit who? Coolman. 
or a fellow member or members of Trinity where? In prison one day. Now what will we what will Bikulman be doing in prison? Well, he'll be singing hymns, I'll be reciting scripture, and I'll be asking the prosecutors and jailers if they would like to believe in Jesus too. And so will you if you are in prison. Now, according to the text, even more of the Lord's good use of you as his believer is to let the marriage, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Honoring marriage and keeping the marriage bed pure means being faithful in your marriage. That's first and foremost. So those of you who are married, be faithful. Don't stray. In addition, it means don't shack up if you're not married. It means don't hook up if you're not married. There's no fooling around, no porn on the internet, and all the other things that we do that profanes marriage and adulterates the marriage bed. Brothers and sisters, marriage is holy because God has attached his word to it. And sexual intimacy between a man and a woman is reserved only for what estate? What is it? Holy marriage. Sex is not for single people. It's for married people. Do you remember? Adam and Eve were both naked and they were not ashamed. Remember that, Genesis 2? Why weren't they ashamed? Because they were married. Now Hebrews, just like all of the Bible, calls out sexual sin. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because sexual sin is carcinogenic to the soul. It contaminates and poisons our lives spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically, as well as physically. Paul teaches the following in the New Testament. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And so Paul says in the New Testament, flee from sexual immorality. And this is very interesting what Paul says next. I want you to listen to this very carefully. Because we're all concerned about our bodies, right? I work out, some of you work out, or you're trying to, because you're very concerned about your, right? But listen to what Paul says. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. That's 1 Corinthians 6. In the text, Hebrews 13, it says, God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Yes. God's heavy hand of discipline rests on the sexually immoral and adulterous for our own good and protection. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that your bodies were bought with the price of our Lord's Good Friday crucified body on the cross. And so, Jesus expects you to do something with your body. What is that? To glorify him in and with your body. So you glorify Jesus by being chaste if you're not married and being faithful if you are married. Now, where Christians sin in this matter, we are to use Jesus properly for the forgiveness of our sin, especially sexual sin. And then do what? Then lead a holy life according to the word of God from Hebrews 13 and all the rest of the Bible. Now, there's more according to the text of our Lord's good use of us as his trusters or hangers on. Check it out. He says this in Hebrews, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. <laughs> Did you notice 
that it's not having money that's the issue. We've all got money, some more, some less. What's the issue? It's the love of money that causes what? Discontent. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because the opposite of contentment is coveting. Coveting is a form of idolatry. When the heart does not fear, love, and trust in God above all things, it relentlessly clings to things. And money represents the power to buy and to own things. 1 Timothy 6 says, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. So how are you to use your money properly? Here's how. Use it, use it as a gift from the Lord and generously use it to help other people. God knows what you need. He's your helper. He staked his claim on you. And so God promises, and we hear it in the text, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. No amount of money can ever bring you that kind of peace. Seriously. And then, in the text, there is instruction on how to live with someone. <laughs> Who's that? With the pastor that God gives you. The text says, remember your leaders, those are the pastors, those who spoke the word of God to you. That's verse 7. And then verse 17 says, obey them and submit to them as they speak God's word to you. Why obey and submit the pastor when he speaks God's word to you? Here's why. Because they speak in the stead and by the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear the pastor when he faithfully, and that's the key word there, faithfully teaches and preaches is to hear who? Jesus himself. Remember Luke 10, 16? Jesus says, you hear the preacher, you hear me. Luke 10, 16. And so like any steward, pastors will give an account. Pastors will give an account of their stewardship of the mysteries of God. And you can help. You can help me, the text says, by making my work a joy and not a burden. How do you do that? Well, here's how. By gladly hearing and learning God's word that is preached today, especially when part of the text today was not so easy to hear. Hmm? So, if you're picking up what the text is laying down today, your Christian life is a life of what? Self-sacrifice. You live not for yourself, but for others. You consider others better than yourself. You recognize that the Lord Jesus, as the text says, gave his life outside the camp. In other words, Jesus was reviled and he was rejected. He was spat on and brutally abused. The world didn't like Jesus then. It doesn't like him today either. That same Jesus, the same cross, the same persecution still goes on. Jesus Christ is indeed the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so are his detractors, as well as the world that would rather keep him dead and not worshipped by you as the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we, the baptized, we live as strangers in this world. Our citizenship is in the heavenly Jerusalem. To quote the beloved hymn, which you all know, I'm but a stranger here, heaven is my home. Remember that? We have no lasting city here. Earthly cities are all destined for what? Destruction, whether it's through war, decay, decay or disaster. What lasts forever is the city that God builds, into which you've been baptized. The city that is founded and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, the rejected rock. So, no matter how much the world changes, and it's changing very, very rapidly and adversely, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Jesus died for you, friends. He rose for you, friends. All your sin is forgiven in him. He put his saving name on you in baptism. He feeds you with his indestructible body and blood. And so your life, your life in him, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, as the text says, through him, namely Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name and lives that do good for others and share in what we have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What joy and what a privilege. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hymn 941. <laughs>